Hello and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security, episode 62. I did not get blown away into Kansas by this storm that I thought was going to, you know, rule everything and just didn't happen. So last week we, we had a little bit of a delay on my end of things, but we're back today and we're going to talk about Operation Cookie Monster. You can't make this stuff up with Zhao. How are you doing? I'm good, Jay. Uh, yeah, last week was cloud issues, like Tom said. <laughs> nice comment there. Um, yep. So, yeah, Operation Cookie Monster, you cannot make this type of thing up. Um, I actually just... <laughs> I've been using ChatGPT a lot, probably more than I should, but I just asked ChatGPT for a few names for an operation like this, and it gave me 10 much better names than Operation Cookie Monster. There's better? Um, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was much, better. Much this better. is pretty cool. Yeah, I posted those on Twitter um, <laughs> as a reply to, the, to this show's announcement but anyway you cannot make this stuff up operation cookie monster and some an institution like the fbi comes out with this yeah weird still yeah uh, <laughs> um so operation cookie monster this was uh, an operation that happened last week it was actually breaking news by the time that we were supposed to be live last week so mm -hmm. you've always mentioned that you wanted to to do a breaking news kind of thing almost the had my chance and, <laughs> almost and we almost had it i'm sure we'll have more opportunities for that yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, this is a, a really large operation. This is a multinational crackdown led by the FBI and the Dutch National Police. There were lots of other national polices involved, Canada and the UK and Germany and Spain and Australia as well. And the, um, the goal was to take down a, a website called Genesis Market. So Genesis Market was basically... a an eBay or something like that, where you could buy credentials for many different types of services that were available there for sale. Um, prices would go as low as 70 cents for a, a credential and as high as a few hundred bucks for one. Um, it depended a lot of the services, it depended a lot on the number of credentials and all of that. But yeah, in total, the, the police then came out that said that they had recovered over 80 million different credentials there. And that seems like a really, really big number. Yeah. I mean, it's all you put it into context. But either way, it's big, right? It's just uh, there's also how many on... Um, I, I know the name of the website you mentioned. Have I Been Pwned, right? That Have was I the been one pwned? that has like, what, billions? 12 billions. I actually oh checked before starting this. So there's a, a bit of a difference in orders of magnitude here. Um, 12 billion, that's billion with the B, millions of millions. Um, 12 billion uh, credentials on Have I Been Pwned and 80 million on this this website on Genesis Market, while 80 million is a lot, this is sure to leave a mark, and we can expect a drop on some attacks in the coming days. But again, drop in the ocean compared to the amount of available data that's out there. Um, yeah, so it was a large operation. The one of the things that really stood out on this operation is something that I've alluded to in the past. Um, you cannot solve cybersecurity just on your country alone. And the U.S. might do all the best efforts they want in their own borders and cracking down on uh, stuff that happens over there. But if the hacker is half a world away, they will not be able to touch it and they cannot solve that problem by themselves. The Internet is the Internet. You, it doesn't stop at the border. Um, 
China has been trying with the Great Firewall to some degree of success, but there's always VPNs, there's always ways around it. Um, as long as there's a way, people will find that way, they will exploit it, they will use it. Um, getting 20 different countries to, to cooperate on an operation like this, of this scale, to coordinate the, the busts happening at the same time, seizing people, seizing equipment, um, it takes a lot of effort. In itself, it's an achievement. It, it really is. So to put this into context for those that may not be aware, you know, depending on where you're at when it comes to learning security, you're either a beginner, expert, or something in between, um, you may not be aware that when you want to utilize something, you know, like um, break into an account, and, and, you know, disclaimer, nobody should do anything that I'm saying. I'm just telling people what's available, not because I think you guys should check this out. You don't check this out. Absolutely don't. Um, but I'm just making sure you're aware that this exists. Online marketplaces where you could just buy hacking utilities, um, kits for, you know, taking something down. You don't have to have technical knowledge to a degree you might think to bring something down. Sometimes it's just a matter of buying a turnkey solution from an online marketplace. And you might think that this is radical and rare, but it's not. I mean, these things exist. There's a place people go to get these things. And in the case of Genesis, it's operating or was operating in the public. There was a um, membership kind of thing going on where you had to be allowed in uh, in order to use the service. But it wasn't like you could find it. If you knew it exists, then you, you go there. And according to the articles I've read, um, they claim that it's not really complicated to get a membership. Um, it makes sense because if they want to sell things to people that are doing things they shouldn't be doing, they, they want to sell to as many people as possible. But then, of course, you know, um, you know, you could have infiltration in there and all this other stuff. But what ended up happening, Operation Cookie Monster was... <laughs> and I, I, I wonder how that conversation went when these countries are talking together. Maybe there's a country that's like, I want nothing to do with that. You guys have fun. We're calling it Operation Cookie Monster. We're in. We want to be a part of that. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of that's true. But but anyway, that's that is what it was called. That is the official name for this operation. If I'm not mistaken, it's right there on the FBI seized um, web page. So they're not like calling that yeah. calling it that internally. That's that's literally what it's called. It's just a really fun name that you have to what? Um, anyway, so uh, I believe somewhere around 120 arrests, give or take a couple or something like that was made. And there was a bunch of, um, you know, they're, they're searching and, and asking questions. The administrators weren't found, but they had this crackdown resulting in the websites being seized and the, you know, large number of individuals busted, but the, you know, the administrators that run this are still, I want to say at large, but when it comes to, you know, geeks, it's kind of like they're at home, right? Um, because let's be <laughs> honest, that's basement, what it means. Probably. <laughs> they're in their basement watching Netflix while they're just hacking on a computer. They, they bought an eBay for a couple hundred dollars. And anyway, <laughs> stereotypes aside, I'm just trying to be funny. I have no idea how much of that is true. But what is true is that there was a around 120 arrests, just like you were saying, um, 80 million, um, that, that's correct, right? 80 million uh, credentials were a part of this. Um, and that is a large number, and this is a very large crackdown. So this is, you know, like you were saying, you have, it's a multinational operation with cooperation from a large number of countries that were in on this. And it's not proven, you know, so I'll, I'll say allegedly, they think that the administrator 
at large, it's kind of weird to say that, but is from Russia. I have no idea, um, you know, because hackers tunnel their connections through different places, but they also know to look for that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see. They're looking for tips on this, but this is one of the largest crackdown operations that have been seen in regards to taking down something like an online marketplace full of um, ill-gotten credentials. Uh, actually, there's no other... I mean, any credentials that aren't yours are ill-gotten, yeah. right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be. Uh, going back to what you were saying, in my mind, uh, that meeting at the FBI headquarters where they were explaining to their directors why they were cooperating with other polices outside, you know, Mr. Director, we have this brand new operation. We called it Cookie Monster so that nobody is going <laughs> to suspect what it is. It's going to be amazing. We're going to crack down on all these amazing hackers out there. <laughs> Imagine how you can deliver that with a straight it's face. It's not impossible. hard to sell that operation. <laughs> it's going to be all over the news, guaranteed. <laughs> oh, man, you really cannot make this up. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, there is something else about what you were saying. Um, the, the admins weren't caught. To have this level of cooperation and coordination, have these targets identified so that they could go after them at the same time, it means that the law enforcement had already infiltrated the website some time ago and had compiled a list. That meant that they had either breached the website somehow and gotten access to the database or had been monitored communications for a very long time. They probably had the database. In the past couple of weeks, this isn't the first time that something like that happened. There was another incident where um, an admin on a different board was arrested. And from the transcripts that came out from the, the procedures after the arrest, uh, they had they had on file some logs of conversations that had taken place. So they had access to the database for a few months at least. Um, it might have been something similar here. Um, yeah. It, the the really nice, I mean, I don't want to use the word nice, the really advanced thing that these guys did, different from other markets of the kind, is, is actually twofold. First, they were not just on the dark web. Most of these types of websites are just dark web accessible. You need to use Tor to reach them, and they have these weird access rules and all of that. These ones were running on the public-facing internet. So your regular web browser, you could reach this. The other thing that these guys were doing that was different from the norm is that they weren't just selling you the, the credentials. You weren't just getting login and password. You were getting also something called the fingerprint. If you recall when we talked about Linus being hacked and his um, channel being taken offline, the, the attack there was through a session token. So somebody managed to get a session token from one of his employees and use that to log, not to log in, but to impersonate an access to YouTube that was already logged in. One of the things that these guys at Genesis Market had for sale were fingerprints, digital fingerprints. Basically, or at least suspected, the way that they got this was that they would hack computers, victims' computers, they would infiltrate it with some malware of the kind, they would steal the tokens, and they would steal more than that. They would steal the, the information necessary to impersonate the web browser. That's what the, the fingerprinting is. It's probably finding out the, the screen resolution, finding out the user agent that is used, it's finding out the browser plugins that you have deployed, it's finding out stuff like which version of WebGL and WebRTC you have. And taken separately, those data points don't 
are not very interesting, but when taken all together, they can identify specific users because the combination of the different browser plugins that you have at the different screen resolutions that you have, the number of monitors, the number of, say, cookies that you already have stored, that is very useful in tracking individual users. And they were selling this as well. They were also giving you access to a special browser that would take this information, would use it and would impersonate the victim that you were buying the access for. So let's say I wanted to use your credentials for PayPal. They would have on file both your login and password or your fingerprint or information that could be used on their special browser so that when I open that browser with that fingerprint, I would be already logged into PayPal with your account. And that's something novel. That's something that wasn't very common in this type of markets. Yeah, there, there's a lot too. Um, it, I mean, it's like when I first started, I think I mentioned this in our last episode, when I was first getting started and I bought a new computer, had another computer I wanted to you know, have uh, my Firefox session in, I would just close Firefox, grab the profile folder and drop it in the other computer. I'm not saying that's a good way to do it, obviously, that that's a terrible way to do it because you know now two browsers are exactly the same. Um, if one security issue affects one, it affects the other in that case. But, you know, I was just starting out and, you know, it is what it is. But imagine that at a bigger level, right? Because when I copy that browser profile, if I'm logged into Google, if I'm logged into this, if I'm logged into that, if the session tokens are still valid, all that comes along for the ride and then I have a clone in my browser. So it's not at all unlike that idea, but imagine a browser that's made to switch profiles and the profiles instead of being yours are whoever you want to take advantage of. And some of these included uh, online banking access, which you know, the, I'm assuming the more access a credential had, the more valuable it was. It was for as low as 70 cents or something like that, less than a dollar, you can get a credential or like you were mentioning earlier, upwards if it's um, extra special. So not only do you have that person's creden credentials for whatever, I mean, you have everything. You have their online presence right there at your disposal, which um, yeah, as you're saying, that that's the part that, that really stands out the most to me outside of the fact that this is a large arrest. Yeah, and it bypasses the usual defenses against this. It bypasses your biometrics, it bypasses multi-factor authentication because you already get the information as if you were logged in. So you can impersonate the session that's already taking place. You don't need to log into the service. That's really, really interesting. It defeats a, a huge amount of the usual stuff that people do to defend themselves online. And it does it trivially, basically. Um, they had different services from the, the articles that were available. They had Gmail, they had Facebook, Netflix, PayPal, Amazon, banking accounts, lots of different stuff that was accessed from here. One of the other things that was also interesting was that they managed to trace one of the hacks that happened on Activision, I believe, in 2021, that was through the credentials of an admin. The, the transaction happened in Genesis market. So the, they bought those credentials here and then they used it to launch that attack. And that made the news in 2021. I don't think we talked about it, um, but it was an attack that got some information out, uh, kind of like the GTA one where they leaked the, the source code for, for the game and then early. Right, I was thinking houses. there was something related to video games we covered. That was it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this one wasn't the Rockstar one, this was for EA, but uh, yeah, it was a bit earlier, a bit before the, um, the GTA one, but it was similar in, in scope. So, again, pretty cheap. And 
this is just one part of the the bad guys economy by the way uh, there's a whole economy system here these guys were trading in something called an initial access they were initial access brokers there are very, several steps that you need to go through when you're trying to uh, to hack somebody you have to do reconnect you have to the reconnaissance 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 yep. you have to do reconnaissance yep. you have to get information you have to get into the system somehow get credentials do the hack deploy the ransomware get the payment all of those different steps when you got a set of credentials like this ones that they were selling there you don't need to do all the steps up to that point so you avoid right. a lot of the work that that's involved in this for the very low sum of 70 cents it oh saves gosh. you a lot of time so yeah so one of the things that this protects you from and, and you know in, in just to put this into perspective in another sense when you log into something you'll get that email that says you know a device has logged into your account and it's you because you logged in and you're expecting that email because you just logged into something um but if it's a you know a threat actor that has a, a hold of your account they log in and you get that email that your account's being used on another device, but you did not log in. Well, there's a red flag right then and there because you know someone's using your account. Now, when it comes to um, a threat actor, they're gonna to wanna to get that email, right? They don't want you to see that email. They wanna intercept that email. They don't even have to because they're basically selling you the logged in accounts that have already gone through that process. So. There's not going to be the worry about, oh, what if they get this email that tells them I'm in their account and I have to break into their email account in time to delete that email before they have a chance to see it. You don't even have to deal with that. So like you're saying, these people were dealing with uh, giving you initial access to systems. And by initial access, we mean like you're logged in, you're using their accounts already. There's there's none of that um, in the beginning that you have to deal with. So... Instead of trying to send, say, the phishing email to 100,000 accounts and hoping that 10 or 12 or 100 will click on the link and deploy your ransomware, you can target individual systems, individual users that you want to attack, and then get immediate access to their systems. And that's very different. That's a completely different mindset when you're preparing an attack. It's targeted rather than just being spray and pray. Um, one of the things, and this has been something that's just been on the the academics uh, state up to a few years ago is behavioral biometrics um, behavioral biometrics is a way is a form of security it's another security step in which rather than having a token or a password or something like that it's the way that say you type the the speed with which you type different words that will authenticate you that will make sure that you're you um, I'm not recommending any service because my experience with this, is, with this is just by reading their product descriptions, but there are products out there that claim that they are more secure than passwords and multi-factor and all of that, and they don't even require you to know passwords to enter a service. You just need to type a certain sequence of characters, and by the speed with which you do that, they will be able to authenticate you. That is actually something that they cannot forge with something like this. So if uh, PayPal had uh, behavioral biometrics in place, even if you tried to use uh, credentials that were already logged in and you started using PayPal, it would provide PayPal with enough information to know, okay, the, the behavior changed a lot here. We might need to log out this user, for example. That's actually something that I don't see implemented 
out there in the wild, basically. But it's very interesting and it might help in defeating something like this. For some reason, I'm thinking of, um, it's, it's like the Konami code, but for logging into your websites. You know, it's like up, up, down, <laughs> down, left, left, right, right, BA, BA, start, or whatever. It's committed to memory. Anyway, but, but it, you know, that's what I, because I, I haven't actually heard of this before. So uh, the, it's almost like, so you, but you also mentioned speed as well. So there, there's uh, different factors here, but uh, that is pretty interesting that that exists. But like you were saying, we don't know how effective they are, but it sounds good on paper anyway. It sounds good on paper, but it ties into something really different. One of the things that was on the CIA field manual a few years back, and I'm not sure how accurate that information was, this is secondhand from a New York Times article, was that people would be recognized by their the way that they walked, their gait. Um, so if people, different people will walk in a different way, they have a certain way, they'll wave around while they're walking. And one of the tips that was on the, the CIA field manual for agents was that if you're trying to, to evade being detected by somebody, just put a, a little rock in your shoe and you'll walk differently enough not to be recognized by these systems. Um, so I don't know how easy it is to fool behavioral biometrics or not, but I always remember this information. And I don't know, putting the two and two to, both of them together, I'm not sure how secure the, the systems are, but at least the, the people that are implementing a solution based on this, they claim to be very secure. I would think that this that buying uh, these credentials would also help people get into accounts that are not part of the hack. Now, here's what I mean by this. Um, and I think this is something, an example of a mindset that if you have this mindset, you should probably rethink it. For example, let's just say Netflix gets hacked or something and, and, and you're, you're informed about this. And then someone might think, well, I don't really care if they know that I'm watching uh, Wednesday or I'm watching this show or that show. Big deal. And my credit card isn't linked because, or isn't an issue because you only see the last four digits and everything is truncated. And you might think that doesn't matter, but it does because um, what I've you know seen many times is, is someone can call in to customer service and say they forgot your password. Oh, what's the you know what's the last four digits of your credit card number? Well, they have that if they if that's listed in your Netflix account, for example. So they can answer that question, even though Netflix itself may not be the problem. It um, gives someone more and more information, and the more information they have about you is inconsequential as any one piece of information might seem. Any one piece of information can ha help them further. Uh, navigate your online life by just getting into other accounts. Now, in this case, though, there's a, a sizable number of accounts already logged in, and that's the attractiveness of this, is that you don't have to deal with this. But you also keep in mind that just because you, certain services may have been involved um, or might, might have had um, credentials within the service doesn't mean that the effectiveness is limited just to those things. And if the way that they got the credentials are still deployed on the victim systems, they might just renew the credentials. Say if you have a spyware on your, on your system and your credentials were stolen as part of this and now they are not using it, but you're still and you're aware that the credentials were stolen. So you change your credentials, but you don't clean the spyware. They'll just steal it again. Like you said, the, the admins weren't caught. So <laughs> like everything, there's a vacuum now, but it won't be left like that for very long. Uh, other services exactly like this will spring up, probably on the dark web this time, um, and they'll make use of this information again. Um, how effective this is long term is debatable. 
how effective this is on the short term until people find a, an alternative, that's very measurable. And we'll probably see a drop in ransomware infections in the few weeks after this. So probably around now. Um, but yeah, it, it will eventually stop being effective because other services will just replace it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you would think that a big crackdown like this would you know, stop other people that are thinking about getting into this. And it probably does, but there's always people that instead of using it as an example of why not to do this, you know, because jail time has a way of uh, making you not want to do something. But, you know, some mindsets are, well, I could do it differently than they did it and do it better. And then you have other things creeping up. So it's like their work is never done because um, an example that's set isn't always an example to everyone. And that's, um, it's further proof that, other things I used to believe, like like earlier, that that were true. Like I used to never believe in the effectiveness of changing your password because it's like, oh, your password expires in a month and then the hacker has a whole month to break in. But nowadays, regular password changes are absolutely um, uh, uh, required because, um, you know, you need to make sure you're keeping up on that. But also, if you have spyware, then a password change isn't going to matter because that same credential will be sent over. But um, we really do have to be vigilant in these types of things because any security practice you do might negate one specific thing. And the more security practices you implement makes it that much harder for something like this to hit you. Not impossible, but, you know, it does add to the complexity, which, you know, if there's too much complexity, then it just takes too much time. But again, if you're selling fully logged in profiles here, um, that complexity is completely gone. And that's a bigger problem. It's an arms race. I mean, as soon as the complexity increases on the defense side, if you add multi-factor, if you add more complex passwords and all of that, the attacker will just switch vectors. So rather than trying to attack that, they will just get this, the logged in sessions if those are something that's available. Um, Probably with this information, we'll try to develop better ways of doing that. Probably do away with fingerprinting altogether, which, again, has been used in this case, but it was initially used as the browser's answer to people not wanting cookies on their systems, and they're still trying to make money for advertising or from advertising. So they found another way to identify users that didn't just rely on the cookies and sell that to the, to the advertisement world. And this was the response. But to try to combat attacks like this, we need to do make a way with them, to do away with them, the fingerprinting altogether, and that would eliminate another part of the of this problem. Um, but yeah, this is an arms race. We close one door, another one opens, and this will probably not end very very soon. I can't help but to think it's one of those things that I hope I'm wrong about. And this is just speculation on my part, but it makes too much sense. I mean, the fact is, I'm sure there's a I mean, we're talking about enterprise Linux security here. So most of the you know subjects are going to be around servers and whatnot. But it is the case people run Linux on desktops and, and certainly not as many that run Windows on desktops, obviously. But I just wonder if, you know, a Linux user just existing is enough to narrow down some of the fingerprint by a large margin because they're using an operating system with a, what is it, one or 3% market share on desktops. And then um, that alone is going to lower you down. And then when you think about how much we can, you know, tweak our desktops, it, you know, with every single little bit of everything that we do, it's probably pretty easy to find one Linux person from another because no two desktop installs will be the same. Uh, I'm not saying nobody should run Linux on desktops, obviously, but it's just, that's kind of how this works, right? You have a browser, 
installed on a computer if you're using Firefox, big deal. So are many other people. That doesn't narrow you down. Okay, Firefox on Windows narrows it down a little bit. Firefox on Windows with this resolution narrows it down. Then you, then the number of add-ons, like you were saying earlier, further narrows it down and keep adding things in there. And then the more of these you add in, the more it targets you in particular. And like you are saying, that, that was going to be the new cookies with the do not track thing that... Um, had questionable results to say the least, but, um, or just avoided outright by many people, but it was a thing that happened. <laughs> and it's so. not just the number of the, the add-ons, it's actually the name of the add-ons and the versions. So if you have like 20, 30 add-ons, which is not that uncommon, that's going to be your unique 20 or 30. Nobody else is going to have exactly those number of add-ons, those specific ones, those specific version. You're going to be hard pressed to find somebody else with exactly the same ones. Um, so that's why fingerprinting at the browser level is so effective. Um, and I mean, that's why banks and such will check that when they are logged into their systems to make sure that you are you. So yep. you continue to use the same browsers. That's why sometimes you see unexpected logout messages. Hey, we don't recognize you. You need to log back in again. Um, yeah. But not all websites are implemented the same. So that will work for some, will not work for others. Yeah, it's it's the bank's bottom line, right? I mean, that's what they do. They they keep a hold of your money, and it's their job to to make that secure. And you know, like Gmail or any of the other services out there, uh, might see that kind of complexity logging in as, oh gosh, we're going to get like a bunch of support calls. It's going to cost a lot of money. But a bank is like, it costs a lot more money, as we've seen in the news recently, to lose things. So maybe we should secure it better, and it's in their best interest to do that. I, but like you're saying, I wish other sites would do the same thing. I would, I want to know if I don't mind logging in again. I used to complain, but every time now is as frustrating as it is, I'm actually thankful and I'm happy to log in again, because then that, that means that the, the cookie timed out and I need to log in, need a new session. That's how it works. And that's what it is. And that's fine. But, um, that's what we deal with is, is, uh, convenience over security. <laughs> Try doing that to your regular users and forcing them to log back in every single day. And you're going to get very, very many annoyed calls from people. Um, that's just how things are. Um, okay, some more random tidbits of information about this. Um, Genesis Market has been up or was up for five years before being taken down. That's a very long time for something like this to exist. Um, usually websites like this, they exist, they get relevant, they get uh, lots of publicity, and then they get taken down. It usually does not take five years, especially if your website is on the public internet. Even if it was on the dark web, websites like this do not last that long. The Silk Road was an exception, and I believe it. they lasted for six years, seven years, something like that. And that was exceptionally long-lived. Yeah, it's um, and I have to wonder if the fact, you know, before this was taken down, I wonder if this was kind of, uh, you know, making some of these people complacent. Like, I, th I think the longer a crime goes on, it's like, oh, we're doing just fine and nobody seems to care. And other people might, oh, they, they're not being taken down. Let's get on in on that business. The next thing you know, um, they eventually they'll get, you know, karma comes eventually. That That's just one thing I'll say, you know. 70 cents might not look like too much, but when you're selling millions of credentials, it adds up pretty quickly. There's a lot of money to be made here. Um, not just in the initial access, but further along down the chain, 
if only one ransomware infection, the ones that ask, like, say, a quarter million dollars for ransom, something like that, if only one gets through out of a million of accounts that you buy, that's going to pay for the accounts that you bought and still leave a profit on the table. Um, there's a lot of money to be made with stuff like this. That's why it's impossible to stop this entirely. You don't. There are real world comparisons out there. The the war on drugs on the US has been going on for what thirty years, forty years, something like I that. I don't even since know. The it's 80s been from crazy Reagan, since forever. <laughs> yeah. It looks like since forever, but I believe it started with Reagan or something like that, um, from the early eighties. And it's still raging on. And lots of people all along the chain have been busted. Countless number of people arrested at all levels in different countries in the US, elsewhere. It doesn't matter. As soon as somebody leaves, somebody else steps in and takes over the business. And that's exactly what's going to happen here while there is the money incentive. So as long as there's money to be made and there is a lot of money to be made here, you're going to get alternatives for websites like this tomorrow. And the next week, something like that. Or somebody saying Nixon rather than Reagan. Thank you. So Nixon from the 70s. Still a really long time to absolutely crappy results. <laughs> but that's just me looking from the outside in. And sometimes it's just, you know, the money is so hypnotizing and, and, and it, it hits people. Like I've heard of people, you know, that have been caught doing something, you know, in the news and they're, they've been apprehended or whatever, and they get a large sum of money. They might be thinking, well, you know, um, I'm just going to do this for a week because I need to pay this bill or whatever, and then I'm going to stop. And then they get a large sum of money. And then, you know, just one more week, I can get a little bit more money and do this. And then another week, and next thing you know, they're in the business as criminals for a very long time. I'm not saying short-term uh, breaking the law is any better. Um, it's still breaking the law, obviously. But this becomes like this greed thing, and then people get sucked into it. And it's and for other reasons too. And just like you were saying, it's it's like playing whack-a-mole, except every mole is trying to hide itself, and you have to find the mole before you can hit it. And if you do, then other ones just pop right up, and it becomes this endless struggle. Um, because I'm sure that we'll be having a conversation during the life of this podcast at least one more time, probably more, about further crackdowns like this that are absolutely going to happen. And I guarantee you, the people behind it are going to think that their way of doing it was better than the previous way only to find out that uh, nobody's infallible and then this process continues but the next moles that are going to crop up are going to be more hidden and it's going to be more tricky to get to them um, again you have to do something that's obvious this could not go on I mean lots of accounts lots of people being hacked it had to stop somehow but it's not definitive it's not going to stop the the, the risk is not going to go away. People are still going to get their credentials hacked and still get, the, get their, their accounts hacked. Um, this is going to delay, maybe, stuff, not, not prevent it completely. I mean, we don't have better alternatives to login and password. All the alternatives that we have are not as... People are not as used to them as login and passwords. You need to retrain millions of people if you suddenly change the way that you want people to use the services. <clears throat> that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen over a year. That does, probably takes a decade to, to happen. And none of the alternatives so far 
is just a replacement, a direct replacement for a login and password. So until we have that something that's better, that's infallible, that cannot be stolen, that cannot be replicated, you're going to continue to have services like this that find a way to steal whatever credentials you're using and passing them along to somebody else for money. It's impossible to stop that. That's not going to end. And <clears throat> that's not going to end, especially as the world is today, where it's completely divided again. And whatever law enforcement is doing on this side is impossible to continue on the other side because there's no cooperation possible. So like you were saying, this, the admins are, were not busted. They were probably waiting for a good moment to catch the, the admins. But if they're in a country that is not going to cooperate, then there's no point in waiting because they'll never be able to, to reach them. Um, and that will leave the, the, those people available to restart the service somewhere else. Yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with that. There's another aspect of this that, at least in the articles that I've read, and I've read several about this, um, I don't think this is mentioned, but this is a worry of mine, is that, like you are saying, it's getting harder and harder to find the moles, so to speak. But at some point, as much as I hate to say this, this keeps happening, then governments having um, mandatory backdoors and encryption becomes more and more attractive. And at some point, I, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but I unfortunately can see governments more and more deciding that backdoors are required and try to keep pushing this. And they're going to keep pushing harder the more that things like this happen, which means everyone suffers because everyone's encryption then gets weakened, which then makes their job even harder. And then it becomes a, a cyclic thing that's um, repeating in another aspect, um, which again, I hope I'm wrong on this, but governments are already pushing for backdoors and encryption. I mean, they don't really need much more incentive to, to push that on us, you know? And, and it's ridiculous that lawmakers are going for that. That will never work. That, I mean, it never worked in the past. We, we cannot keep repeating the same mistakes and hoping the, the outcome is different. There's a term for a psychological condition like that. It's having backdoors there and just assuming that you're the only one who is going to know about them and the only one that's going to be able to use them is just true until somebody gets fired from that department, then it's no longer true. It's impossible to keep something like this just for your own use. Governments that hope to have that available and have that backdoor available just for their own use are deluding themselves and the people who, who they are ruling. It will never work that way. If, it, if there's a backdoor, it's not just for you, it's for anybody else who uses them. It's for anybody else who's able to read an academic paper about it. It's for anybody else with the knowledge and the resources and the time. It's for your opponents on the other side of the, the world stage. It's for your hacking groups that are trying to target your country. Every country has those. Every country has groups that are trying to hack into them. If you have a backdoor in your encryption, it's going to be used against you sooner or later. When one of the three-letter agencies a few years back tried to add a weakness on the RSA elliptic curve algorithm, it was found a few years after that, and that was really, really bad. Um, foreshadowing, we were going to have a guest last week. We kind of moved the, the date for that, uh, that podcast to the end of the month. You should look out for that one. It's going to be about FIPS, and we're going to be talking about stuff like this. But having weaknesses at the algorithm level is going to affect the encryption of all the stuff that has already been encrypted with it. 
there is something that's being done right now by surveillance agencies and, and military and all of that that's just data hoarding they're looking at encrypted data they are not able to crack it right now but they're storing all of it the way that things evolve in IT, the way computing process evolves and keeps growing year over year, while it's not possible to hack it today, maybe 10 years in the future, they'll be able to hack it. And there's information that 10 years from now is still going to be valuable. So they're going to hoard the most amount of information that they can in hopes that they will be able to break it in a few years' time. If there's a backdoor in the encryption that's used there and it's found in that time frame, they're going to use it and they're going to be able to access the information. You cannot, under any circumstance, accept any type of backdoor in an encryption algorithm because you're going to be hurt by it. And if you're pushing for it, you're just not understanding the problem. And you're going to be in a world of pain when things break. Yeah, I agree. And I'll say this too, to, to piggyback on that, because um, there's a very simple phrase that can easily uh, defeat this. And I think every developer on the planet will know exactly what I mean when I say technical debt. Okay, let's put that in perspective. If you're, if, if you're not a software developer um, and you don't know what this means, you know, you're, you have a team of developers, you're developing a product and, and maybe... I don't know, there's let's just let's just pretend that there's a perfect mechanism if it could ever exist where the government can have a backdoor and there's just no way to break this and there never will be. Um, what's going to defeat it is technical debt because you're all a development project when they're making new features or, or building things in, they have other things that go unaddressed because there's smaller little paper cut things that they have to get back to eventually, right? But they don't have time. They have to develop the new features and they keep telling themselves they're going to go back and fix these other things that they never have time to fix for, you know, maybe during holiday break or something. But um, it just never gets addressed. And then those technical technical debt then becomes, um, you know, places of entry because you didn't get to this thing you didn't get to that thing you didn't get to this thing and the next thing you know you have cves just waiting to be found in your code left and right that'll still let everybody in so um and th that's what we're dealing with here if, if people might think why haven't we completely stopped online crime believe me we would have did that like yesterday you know <laughs> if we could yeah. it's not easy <laughs> it's really not it's absolutely not easy and and that's the accidental route that's when you leave holes in your software or in your encryption scheme or your algorithm by accident because you didn't have the time to get to it because you made a mistake somewhere. Now, making those things intentionally, that's just shooting yourself, not just on the foot, but on the foot, the other one, your hands, your head, shooting everything. That's ridiculous. And it will never work as intended. There has been another push, and I'm going to use an example from my country. There, There is a, a huge push towards making the, the police able to access metadata information about uh, communications without um, a court order. Just the metadata information. Because there's never been a data breach, right? Because not all the judicial cases information gets leaked to the press on like every other day. So having that information accessible by the police just means it's accessible by the newspapers like one day after. And it's ridiculous that the police themselves are pushing for this. This is going to make their job way harder than what they think because then people are going to be more careful about that. They're going to stop using their phones when they're doing certain things. And if they needed a court order before and were able to track it with a court order, they don't need to be able to do it without such an order. Um, 
it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, think of the firmware bugs that we see and, on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, like I was um, just looking. Like, I bought a new NVMe SSD, and I didn't need to because I kept getting a smart CTL error that the hard drive was on the verge of dying. So I'm like, okay, it's in a RAID. I need to take care of this right now. So I, I next day a hard drive, and then I do some Googling, and I find out there's nothing wrong with the NVMe, and I verified this. Um, you know, because firmware is hard and everything else is hard too. It's, 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 it's impossible not to have a mistake. And here we have SSD firmware, where if the temperature gets to be 48 Celsius, there's a bit flipped, it'll read back 84 Celsius and claim that it's overheating and the drive needs to be replaced. And instead of replacing the drive, I just needed a simple firmware update to completely fix the problem. And now everything works just fine. Um, Smart CTL says the hard drive is completely um, uh, safe, which, you know, hard drives are never completely solid, let's be honest. But my, my point is, even something as simple as that, there is no such thing as a project without technical debt. If, um, if you do manage a project, like a software engineering project, and you're absolutely sure there's not an ounce of technical debt, please, uh, you know, just hit us up on Twitter. Um, if you do, um, and you say that you have no technical debt, sorry, you're lying, okay? And if you're telling the truth, you're not gonna message us. So we're probably gonna get like maybe a couple, but I don't even think we'll get a couple because there's no such thing. And any one of those mistakes will defeat any type of, um, will open up a backdoor even further. Every single time. i go so far as to say that even Hello World is probably gonna have a backdoor or two. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Rohammer could probably could probably utilize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, technically. This, I mean, software is hard. And we're really yeah. bad at writing software. And no matter how good your developers think they are or how good you have a developer you personally think you are, we really suck at writing software. That's why we have patches on top of patches on top of patches. That's why we have operating systems that get... A, a monthly patch day. <laughs> Why would you need that if we wrote perfect software? We don't. And if the people and the corporations who are spending billions of, of dollars on making software and making money from software don't, are not able to do it, nobody else is going to be able to do it properly. And we don't. So, yeah. Maybe don't have a politician sit in on your Monday morning development meetings and see if by the end of that meeting if they still yeah. feel as strongly that the backdoor is possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest because these development meetings, and I've been in a bunch of these, I mean, they're literally like a one-hour meeting that usually stretches to two or three. And every single time it's people talking about technical debt or this glitch happens when the planets are aligned in a certain oh, way. Preach. Believe me, nobody will think that it's possible <laughs> to have perfect software if they sit through a single development meeting. They will absolutely be corrected on that mind mindset. If they go to one of those meetings and hear all of that, and at the end of the meeting go, hey, I now went to add an additional backdoor on top of that software that you were talking about, people are going to laugh you off the room. <laughs> Why do you need another backdoor? Don't these other bugs are worse, are enough for you? Uh, I mean, and, and this is the type of thing that could happen as a result of this. I mean, it, it's you might think that you're not a victim if you never, if you just so happen to never have credentials stolen, if you just so happen to never have your identity stolen or a threat actor even so much as look at you. You might think that, yeah, everything's fine, but you're still going to have a problem because ultimately the fallback and the decisions made by all of this crime is then going to impact you another way. And that's why, you know... We need to make sure that we let our politicians know exactly how things actually work because they need to know that. So anyway, I can go off on a whole tangent about that side of things. I'm going to stop myself yeah. right there. Uh, we better stop. We're going running right. late here. Way um, over. <laughs> just as a final remark uh, to cap this off, 
the Silk Road that I mentioned before, they were caught because of a mistake on the website uh, code that leaked the, the IP address through some ad tracking stuff that they had there. And that's how they got caught. So even them make mistakes like this. Do not assume that, uh, that there's a way to do this properly without backfiring. There isn't. And again, we might devote a whole episode to this, but it's going to be just trending about governments making really stupid decisions about these type of things. Thanks, everybody, for joining. It was a pleasure. It was a great episode. See you, everybody, next week. We're going to be back for another one. I already teased a bit the one that we're going to be doing about FIPS by the end of the month. Stay tuned on for that one. That's going to be really interesting. We're going to have a guest to talk about that. And yeah, thanks, everybody, for joining. It was a pleasure. See you next Appreciate week. Appreciate it. Bye.